Today, when we look at everything that is uh, going on in our world, there's no, there is no doubt that uh, we are living in perhaps one of the most splintered times in our culture. So I've been uh, alive here, you know, uh, over a half a century, I can say. And uh, in that half a century, you know, I grew up in the 60s and things were splintered there. But I think with everything going on right now, there is a, there's this sense of being splintered and, and uh, so many opinions, and I think our culture really cultivates that. It nurtures your opinion. I, you know, it's hard to even walk into Home Depot without having to take a survey. You know, how was the hammer? How was the person that sold you the hammer? Did somebody help you find the hammer? And, there, you know, we're, we're constantly asked for our opinion. And so for that reason, we've become quite an opinionated culture almost in the sense that we're very individualistic. We want to know what you think. When you look at movements that are really, that bring everybody together, because some movements are actually uh, more splintering, but there's, there, there are times, even in the, the history of our country, during the Great Depression, everyone was pulling together. During World War II, everyone was pulling together. If you've ever read you know, what was happening in our country for those that were stateside, if they were you know, recycling everything and everyone you know, was praying for the troops and it was, it, it was a time that you could feel that the unity. And the same thing in 9-11 and these, these moments of crises, there, there, there are times where you feel this tightness. Well, in, in the spiritual world, in the kingdom world, and in, in the times and throughout the history, there were times that there, were, there was a movement of God. And I find them fascinating because they're, they're, they're so powerful and you recognize that God is doing something that, that a person could not do on their own. So today we continue our conversation moving from here to there. We've been in this conversation, if you're just coming in for the first time today, I welcome you by the way. My name is Steve McCoy, I'm the lead pastor if we haven't had a chance to meet, but if you're coming in, we're, we've been in this conversation of moving from here to there because we recognize that the spiritual life is about transformation. It's not all about being stagnant and getting information, but rather it is taking what God is teaching us and then and we move uh, in, in a different direction. In other words, we're growing from A to B. So when you look at the scripture, God calls us to personally transform. But God at times calls us to collectively move from here to there. I find, as we're going to see today, that it may be one of our greatest challenges as the church that Christ has ordained and is leading. It's one of our greatest challenges in our church culture today to move from individualism to solidarity. We are, in the, we are in a mode where we say, hey, let's all wear green shirts. There will always be a percentage of people like, I'm wearing a green. There's no way I'm... And they're tracking me if I do wear green. And if, I, if I'm wearing green, then, you know, there's, then I'm, I'm conforming, and I don't want to be a conformist. You know? So there's that element in our free society that freedom sometimes can equal entitlement. I'm entitled to my individualism. Okay, there's no doubt that God has customized us. We have different DNA in each of us, different fingerprints and all that. So there, there's, there's, it's okay to be unique. But there are times when God calls us to drive in a, in a particular path. Are you tracking? I'm likening this this morning to a tornado. That sounds pleasant. I grew in, I grew, uh, lived for a number of years out in the Midwest, and so we would have been part of the, you know, the tornado alley, and so they're treacherous. At least in Florida, when we have a hurricane, you kind of know it's coming, and you have days to prepare. You're not quite sure where it's going to wobble, but you know, you, you, with the tornado, man, they are so quick, and they're so moving. This past week, before I got up and said, said something stupid, I, I checked in, in fact, with my good friend Chap, and we had a... We had a nice talk because he's, uh, um, he is, he's much more knowledgeable about these things. I'm like, hey, let's talk about a tornado and how it's formed. Because there is, as, as we were talking, he said, you know, relatively speaking around the world, the, a, a tornado is, is very, uh, it's a rare event. 
for us here in the United States, the United States actually has more tornadoes than any other country in the, in the world. I didn't know that, but we, there's just it, it, the way that the hot air is coming, the warm air is coming off the Gulf and moving right up in the you know, tornado alley, it, it forms that. But it is a rare event. But it is a clear and direct path that no one doubts that a tornado has been there. When a movement has happened, there is no doubt that something has, has, has gone through the land like, man, there has been something. When millions of people exited out of Egypt, there was no doubt that something of, of a massive collective movement of solidarity was going on. You never question that because it is so evident. One of the things, in fact, I have a picture of a, an illustration of a tornado, and uh, what I want you to see in this is that there's an up and a down to a tornado. In other words, it's being fed by, you know, I feel like I'm sitting right in front of the professor, I'm, you know, not really, but there, it's being fed by this hot, moist air, and as this air moves up, it's, it's, it's warmer, and then as it gets closer to the top, it cools down and comes back to the, to the bottom, and there's this kind of, there's this rotating kind of donut uh, formation. What I want you to see, I'm going to slide that into spiritual thinking. In a movement, there is up and down happening. A movement without God is not a movement. A spiritual movement, a kingdom movement, a movement that has God, but people won't participate from the beginning from, from the ground up is not a movement. For whatever reason, God calls human beings to, to be the vanguard of movements. Could God have said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to kill all the Egyptians and these guys can walk out. Sure, he could have. Why did he pick Moses? Why did he pick Aaron? Why did he pick human beings to lead? Because there is this symbiotic synergy between heaven and earth that God said, you go make disciples. I could, I could infuse spiritual uh, uh, understanding in human beings. I, I created them. But throughout history, you have this. And then something happens in the upper atmosphere where there's a shift, and that shift creates a wind shear, and that wind shear then makes the thing start going like this. And when it begins to going like this, that is the movement forward. So there is this movement of God that he has to, you know, it's human beings and God, this divine human connection. But then there's something that happens, that, that God says, we are in crisis, and there's a shift. And that is what causes the movement of God to, to, to advance, to go forward. You know, they measure uh, tornadoes in like F, like F0 to F, there, it can go up to F6, but there's rarely, rarely, rarely an F6. But F5s uh, happen, and that's up to 300 miles an hour. And F0 is about up to seven, 70 miles an hour. So watch this. When you go from F0 to F5, not only are, is the speed of the thing uh, quadrupled, but the kinetic energy is eight times, not four times. And the mass energy is 16 times. The point is that a movement is powerful because there's participation. And when people come together in a movement, then there is this synergy that's happening. Why are we talking about this? I'm concerned. Yeah, and you know I get concerned about a lot of things. But I, I'm concerned over our Christian culture, Okay. Let's forget about the culture of the world around us. But over years, nearly being four decades as a Christian, and many of those years as leadership, what I see is a progressive individualism that is going to kill the advancement of, the, of God's assignment for us. Okay, When we look in the scriptures, it's, it is, it is, uh, uh, there are many, many movements. So when you look at, for example, as I referred to, Moses moving out millions and leading a movement of millions of people out of Egypt because they were oppressed. You look at the movement of the temple and how the temple was built in the Old Testament. If you don't know that history, don't worry about it. But there was a movement that, was that, that all, all, everybody came together. There was a movement when that temple was torn down, like in the book of Nehemiah. It is a fascinating movement. And it's a powerful movement that they came together as one. There was such solidarity that they accomplished in a very short amount of time something that God had assigned them to do. 
Now you look at what we did this morning, and we celebrated communion with 11 men sitting around Jesus because Judas had already was dismissed. So there were 11 men sitting around Jesus, and he was about to change the world. He wanted to change the world. So there were, as you look at the scripture, and you're just think, kind of thinking the mountaintops, they were always, there were always these movements of solidarity, okay? Now we come to, let's say, I want to look at one of these movements and say, what do we learn from one of these movements? So one of the movements is the, with King David, because King David started small. You'll notice that, that the, as we all know, that the shape of a tornado is triangular, right? It's small at the bottom where it's being fed, but then it gets larger and larger. This is the life of David. David started small. He started as an individual, but we're going to see how God grew this solidarity in the movement. Why, again, are we talking about this? Number one, individualism has deeply crept into the, the church culture. Like, hey, let's all do this. Well, I'd rather do this. I think I'll do this. You know, we'll do this, but I'm going to do a modification of that. And then what happens is the tornado falls apart because a tornado is only sustained if it is fed from the bottom, just like a hurricane. We're more familiar with hurricanes, right, in Florida. Once it hits the land, it's no longer being fed by all that moisture from the, from the water, right? As soon as it hits the land, it begins to deteriorate because it's no longer, there's nothing there to, to feed it. We're going to ask ourselves the question, then living in 2020, what is the movement? What, could, what did God call us to be about in the movement? So we begin with David. And this is going to be like one of those uh, movies where you see the end first, and then you, you drop back and it says 20 years before, you know, and then you see it. I, I hate those movies, if I were honest with you. Because you're like, are we at the end or are we at the beginning? You know what I mean? I was watching a show last night, and, and I'm like, okay. And, that, I, and then I really frustrate my wife, like, okay, is this now or is this 20 years ago? You know, just shut up and watch the movie. All right. And then, you know, we don't know. So as, as, as we're going to look. When you look in the book of Chronicles, it's kind of weird, if I were honest. The, the first book of Chronicles, the focus is on the kingship of David. You would think a name, the name, a book with the name Chronicle, would would chronicle things in order, but it actually doesn't. It's kind of crazy. And so we're going to look. We're going to be in First Chronicles chapter eleven, and then we're going to we're going to go in, in, in chapter twelve. Well, chapter eleven is the end of the story, and chapter twelve says, "Okay, let's start over and see how this whole thing got started." Okay, so we're in First Chronicles chapter eleven. In verse 3, 1 Chronicles, if you don't have your Bible with you, or if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, fear not, because there's, there, the, uh, the, the scriptures will be up on the screen. When all the elders of Israel, 1 Chronicles 11, 3, had come to David at Hebron, he made a compact with them. In other words, they were in solidarity. Keep in mind, this is the end of the story. David was called to be king. He was the second king of Israel. The first king, Saul, blew it, became really uh, proudful, and uh, pride filled him, and, it just, and, and he, did not, he was not following God. God needed a king who was going to follow after, to align with his own heart. So that all these people, the elders of Israel, come to David at Hebron, and they had made a compact with him before the Lord. And they anointed David the king over Israel as the Lord had promised through Samuel. David was actually anointed king more than once. Uh, Samuel came and actually anointed him as king. This is, this is another time. There were multiple times. What, what was happening is was affirmation. Okay, if you're reading through the Bible and you get to this point and you think, okay, it, you know, it, you know, sometimes you don't want to be completely honest, but there are certain parts of the Bible that are less exciting than others. How, can I say it that way? Less exciting than, than others, all right? This, the story is, itself is exciting, but until you begin to, you know, the more you study, the more you see the context. You think, wow, well, that, that's incredible. What was the big deal about Moses leading people out of slavery? Well, it was a big deal because they were, they were suffering and they were God's people, but it's, and, and he, they were going to a promised land. But you know, the movement of God is always about God. 
It's never about us. It's not like, hey, there's a better place to live in Israel, and uh, man, this by the seaside. Oh, gosh, there's some great food there. You know, we saw, you know, you see in the book of Exodus, Numbers, hey, the produce is just stunning. You know, God did not move them there for that reason. God moved them there because in the time of antiquity, they, everyone believed that Jerusalem was the center of the world. And God moved them there because God was specifically in the Old Testament working with the nation of Israel for one reason. He wanted his name to be known to the earth. God said, my glory will fill the earth. In fact, there's, a, there's several verses here, but in Exodus chapter 9, 16, God said to Moses, I have raised you up for this very purpose. We all ought to sit up. Well, okay, what was the whole deal? That I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That was the core of why God, did God love the Israelites? Sure. Did he have compassion on them that they were in slavery? Sure. Did he want them to live in better conditions? Sure. All those things. But at the top, the overarching thing from moving from here to there was about God's glory and making God part of the, the earth. We said, we saying today, that is who you are, right? Well, the world doesn't know that. The world doesn't know, much of the world doesn't know that God is a way maker. Much of the world doesn't know that, that he's the light of the world. And so this is our purpose on earth. And if we're so individualistic, we will not make God known. There takes a certain solidarity that people will look on and say, man, God must really be powerful in your life. In other words, your individualism might be good for you, but it may not be good for God. And so when they built the temple, Solomon finished the temple, Second Chronicles 6. He built it so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name. Uh, Isaiah said, chapter 49, verse 3, he said to me, you, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I might show my glory. Ezekiel 39, 7, I will make my holy name known among Israel, and the nations will know that I am the Lord. When Nehemiah finished the, building the wall, the sound of rejoicing could be heard far away. In other words, you see it over and over and over and over and over. It helps to understand, okay, what was the big deal about David, a man after God's own heart, setting up in, in Jerusalem, well, the whole point was that God's name would be known. So watch this. In 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and verse 10, remember this is the end of the story. People are now gathering around David. It's a big gathering, but it did not start that way. 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 10. These were the chiefs of David's mighty men. They together, solidarity, with all Israel, solidarity, Gave his kingship strong support, solidarity. Why? To extend it over the whole land as the Lord has promised. God said, now there's a man that's going to reflect who I am. There's a man. There's a king. Because you know, if you read the books, Kings and Chronicles, they're all over the map. You got some, you got some good, better, best, uh, best, ugly, the, the terrible, horrible, evil, to all the way to David, who was, you know, just had a heart for God. There's a man that I can put at the center of the earth that will reflect who I am. Don't know if you noticed or not, Israel still seems to be an important piece of real estate. Don't notice, note if you noticed or not, but Israel is playing a significant role at the ends of times if you read the Bible, if you read the, the, the book of Revelation. Israel is still very important to God and to history. Now, when you look at this, I say to myself, okay, what is our mission? Our mission is not to all, all to move to Jerusalem and build a temple, right? But our mission is exactly the same as the churches, local churches around this world. This week I was in Zoom calls to Nairobi, to Canada, to Jacksonville. And our mission is all the same, to make God known throughout the world. Okay, how do we do that? Back in that day, the glory of God came on the temple and et cetera. But now we are the temples of God. We are the walking temples of God. And I'm going to draw your attention to Colossians chapter 128. In my opinion, this is the mission that God has given to us. If we can put that verse up, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. And he says this, we proclaim him. We make him known. We have, we have called this evangelism for a long time in the church, but we're sharing our faith. 
I like instead of the word evangelism, pre-conversion discipleship. Try that one on. In other words, it's not just I'm going to give the, you know, the three points of historic Jesus, but I'm really pouring my life into someone and hoping that they will understand that Jesus is the way maker, as we've sung, right? We proclaim him. Then what follows this is very critical, admonishing and teaching everyone. Guess what that is? Discipleship. These are the two wings of our airplane. We do not admonish and teach those who are, are only before Christ. In other words, we proclaim Christ, and then we begin to invest in people. Why? We admonish and teach everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. That is our job. To this end, I labor, Paul says, Wow, you can look at all his writings. says, to this end, right here, this is why I labor, struggling with all the energy which so powerfully works in me. I love what Paul is saying, like, this is the mission. I don't know how many Christians I have lost count, if I might step on some toes here. I might, I've lost count of how many people have said to me, I'm not sure discipleship is for me. I'm not sure that, that I want to be involved in disciple-making. When Christ said, go into all the world and make disciples, it wasn't for some people, it wasn't for pastors, it wasn't for leaders. It was like, this is the mission, but because of our individualism, we say, I don't know, I'm kind of busy right now. Or I'm not sure that I can do it. I'm not sure I'm an expert. I'm not sure I really want to because I got, I'm, you know, my life is cluttered and really, man, I, I got to get the church to get some inspiration on. Nothing wrong with coming to church to be inspired, by the way. You come to this church, I'll probably hammer you, and the inspiration will just go right out the window. There is this sense that the mission is very clear, right? Jesus didn't say go and, and, and you know, uh, do, uh, build temples. He said, I want you to invest in people, right? I wonder why that is. So let me show you something, and, that, and then we have a couple of films today that are, that are exciting. I'm going to draw your attention to John chapter 17. I do not have this on the screen, but let me read it to you. At the end of Jesus' life, he prays. These are moments for me that if you're really interested in the mission of God, you tune in. When Paul says, to this end, I struggle, to this end, I labor, this is what I'm all about, for me, I perk up. I'm like, okay, well, that's probably what we should be about. When Jesus said, I'm going to pray for those who will believe in the future. Let me pray for them. We ought to lean in and say, what is he asking for, for us? Jesus is praying for those who would believe in the future. That's us. And he said, Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one solidarity, as, as you and I are one. You see, it goes past solidarity. It goes, it goes to this level of really knowing something. He's comparing the relationships that we have to the relationship he and the Father has. He says, I'm praying that they'll have that kind of relationship. Why? He said, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know. When you look at the Old Testament, you, kind, you, you really do have to you know, piece a lot together because it's daunting, let's be honest. When you're reading through the Old Testament, it's like, okay, wow, there it is. God wants to be known. God wants to be known. You have to pull it together. But when Jesus makes it this concise and this succinct, he's saying, look, I want you to love one another to the extent where we would say we, to, to see people and to hear people and to know people and to invest through disciple-making and invest through sharing our faith. And I want you to know that when you get to that level of relationship, then the world will see something different than just large church gatherings of people coming together and just singing and hearing and, and sitting and, and listening to a sermon. When you can get to that level and life change is happening, then, you, then the world will look on and say, man, I want a piece of that action. So I have a film for you this morning. I'm, I'm so excited to share it with you. It's a little lengthy, if I were honest. But, you know, in a, in a, uh, in a, in a culture where we have to be, you know, uh, kind of, entertained with sound effects and, you know, movie effects and everything, I think it's good for us to say, hey, let's, I want you to hear from four guys that are in a disciple-making uh, relationship. 
okay? And this started, as we're about to see, like David's life. It started with one person investing in another who invested in another and invested in another. We've been at this for about six or seven years here at our church. And I, I think we haven't celebrated enough, if I were honest, to say, hey, we want to celebrate some of these, these milestones. And when you look at and see the multiple generations of disciple-making that are happening, and, and if you don't know the church culture, I'm telling you, it's very, very exciting. I'm not so much into celebrating, you know, a, a, a huge building or, you know, a, a new wing on the building or, you know, this, that, and the other. That's fine. But we should be celebrating the thing that God said, this is your mission, okay? So I hope you'll celebrate with me as you, as you watch this film. Four men, uh, as we see multiple generations of disciple-making, the very mission that God has called us to do. Take a look. Well, hey, 360 family, I am here with four men that are, I am so excited to be with because they represent four layers of disciple-making. Uh, this journey started with Martin, who discipled Chuck. Chuck, uh, went, they went all through exchange. Then Chuck discipled Dennis going through exchange. And now Dennis is getting ready to disciple uh, Tommy Johnson. And I'm, I am absolutely thrilled to see this level of multiplication. I want you to hear from them. Not only do we want to celebrate this, uh, this milestone, and, and, but I also want you to hear from them and their hearts. I'm going to start with Tommy. Uh, because you are the you're the uh, the freshest cut here on, in the disciple making cycle, and the question that I'm going to ask each of you is going to be the same: Why, why, why disciple making? Why, you know, what is it that caused you to get involved and and say, hey, I'm I want to start this journey, Tommy? What would you say? Why is this important to you? Absolutely. Well, thank you, Pastor Steve, and I'm thrilled. What ended up happening with me is is as you know, I've been. I've been going to 360 for over 10 years now, and I've come back from college, and Dennis Brozak reached out to me, and, and we've been growing a relationship throughout 360 for my time there, and he, he asked me if I would go through exchange. I'd actually been waiting, you know, kind of on the side as a younger, younger guy and, and not knowing really who to push and who to, you know, talk to about it. And so when he asked me, I, without a doubt, I was thrilled and I'd been ready. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of God ask or God being like, here's your opportunity. And, and because I've been pushing myself in a professional sense, I knew I needed to do something similar, but you know, with, with my spiritual life. And, and so this was just <clears throat> an incredible opportunity and I can't wait. Uh, he said incredible things about Chuck and Martin and uh and so now i'm part of this huge family yes. <laughs> in a great lineage so i'm super excited that's so cool tommy i, I that, i'm excited for you because you know you and i've known each other like you said over 10 years and just to see this moment for me is so so exciting dennis i uh, i know you're getting ready to journey with uh with tommy and you've just completed your journey with uh, chuck Tell us why. Why is this important to you? Why Why are you um, being part of disciple making? Well, I, I feel called to do it. Uh, whenever I uh, uh, got matched up with Chuck, I asked him if he would disciple me. I have such an admiration for him and wanted to, we had a relationship and it was a good one. And I wanted that to uh, add, have some depth added to it. And I've just really enjoyed spending my time with with Chuck and, and becoming very close friends. Um, and then with, with Tommy, you know, we've, uh, we've hit it off from the day we met and, uh, and we talk a lot about a lot of things already, you know, in the business world. And we have a lot of fun with that. Uh, but I really like the idea of a, a, a God driven uh, mentoring program, you know, this discipleship. I've done a lot of mentoring before, but never in this vein. And I'm really excited about being a disciple and being a disciple maker, uh, especially with Tom, he's such Amazing. a huge guy. I'm so I'm so excited to see what God's going to do. All right, Chuck. So you're you're now a, been a disciple and a disciple maker through this journey. Tell us why 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 is this important to you? Uh, I guess I have to go back to 
pre 360, which for me is now about, uh, I think I joined 360 in 2014 or 15, I can't remember. But in my past church experiences, I'd, I'd been involved with small groups um, and, and trying to become close in a small group environment is limited, of course. Uh, the, the, the dynamics are just not quite right for getting really, really close. So when we uh, came to 360 and I heard about Exchange, I was very, very excited. Um, we had just formed our small group uh, and Martin was our, our catalyst at that time. Um, and I approached him and asked if he would disciple me and he, thank goodness, he said yes. Um, and our experience was just absolutely amazing. I, I looked into going into exchange at the beginning. I was looking, you know, for, for uh, uh, a better knowledge and understanding of uh, the Bible, of Christianity. And uh, as I went through it, the early phases of it, of course, are, are geared towards um, church knowledge. I mean, excuse me, Bible knowledge, if you will. But the reality is, is that it's much, much more than, than just uh, knowledge of, of Christianity. And um, the, dis the uh, material is just designed so that it, it really, really enhances uh, a close relationship between the two individuals that are going through it. Uh, and the, the deeper that Martin and I got into it, the more excited I got about it. Um, as I said in my past video, it's the first time in my life that I've ever had an experience where I felt close enough to somebody that I could pretty much share anything that was on my heart. Um, that was huge for me and I'd never experienced it before. And, um, you know, I, 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 I feel pretty comfortable to say that Dennis and I experienced that same closeness. Um, we, we both have gone through a pretty rugged year uh, this past year. And I think the exchange for me was, was quite a help in, in going through that because it gave me somebody that I could really share some of my frustrations. And, and uh, of course, with Dennis going through the, the treatment he was going through, um, hopefully I was, you know, there for him when, when he needed it the most. So it's, it's almost just as if God ordained putting you guys together, just that really navigation good. and that chapter, just stunning. Yeah, stunning. So, so uh, yeah, I just, I can't say enough about exchange. It's been a life changer for sure. Amazing, Chuck, it's just incredible. Martin, we were joking earlier, you're the patriarch of this uh, this outfit. And uh, Martin and I have known each other for years and you, you inspire many people, including me. And tell us uh, uh, why, Martin, why is disciple making so important to you? I've been going to church, uh, thinking about this uh, Zoom uh, meeting coming up, and I was thinking about it. I've been going to church since I was nine years old. Um, I sat with you over coffee, I think, Pastor Steve, eight or nine years ago, and you shared with me about the one-on-one -on -one discipleship and why it was important, why it was necessary, and I thought, I have never heard this before. I've been to six-week classes. I've been to 12-week classes. You know, you name it. I've taught Sunday school. I've been uh, all, the, all of the above, you know, over the course of that time. I'd never heard what you said. And so then I started looking around. So why is the church is shrinking? Well, there's a report out that 65% of the evangelical churches in North America are stagnant or shrinking. That's in my lifetime. And that's criminal. Everything about the character of God multiplies and grows exponentially, and, and we haven't. And so it's broken. It has to be fixed. And that's what you were sharing with me, and you and I were in agreement after you shared that. That is what's wrong. We got a bunch of pew sitters, and I'm one of them, but we haven't grown. We haven't made a disciple. We haven't reproduced ourselves, or we would be growing. If we were reproducing, we'd be growing, and we're not growing. And uh, so there's some stats out there. Only 5% of the churches in America are actually growing. 360 is one of those 5%. Well, who is the church that's not growing? 
It's we pew sitters, because we are the church. There's no building that's supposed to grow. It's we that are call ourselves Christians. And so it's broken. And we must be about making disciples. We must be discipled. We must be a disciple maker. We must multiply. And God will do it. We just need to say, yes, Lord. And uh, my current disciple came to me about three months ago. I don't have permission to use his name, but I don't think he'd mind. And he said, Martin, he said, I procrastinated for a year. And now I've said uh, Sunday, that, that Sunday that you preached a message, he called me Sunday afternoon or Monday morning and said, Martin, I said yes yesterday. Will you disciple me? And, and I thought that's a picture of what it is. We procrastinate, we put it off, well, it's not me. Uh, but we just need to say, yes, Lord, and he'll do all the rest. So amazing, Martin. I, I am so proud of each of you men and so inspired and energized. And this, for our church family, uh, this is the picture. This is the picture right here of what God has called us to do. And uh, thank you for taking the time to share the, the reasoning behind. And uh, I don't say this often, I don't have anything to say. I couldn't add a thing to, to what you've said. And, and so thank you for letting us hear your heart. And uh, man, we, we celebrate every uh, milestone like this. And, you know, church can celebrate a lot of different things, but we should be celebrating this multiplication and disciple making. And so thank you guys. God bless you. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing more and more and more and seeing what God does. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, I'm so thankful for you to have a church that applauds for these things. There are a lot of things to applaud for in our culture. That may have struck you. You may have said, hey, you know what? God has been moving. I've been, I've been a pew sitter, although we don't have pews. I guess we're chair sitters <laughs> uh, for a while. And maybe God is saying for you, yes, yes, Lord. I'm going to take about uh, many years of history and about four minutes, all right? So put your goggles on. We're going we're gonna to move fast because Hopefully, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at David's life uh, from beginning to the place. Now we're gonna go into uh, into the, uh, the next chapter, First Chronicles chapter 12, and very quickly just do an overview and saying, hey, what is the purpose of you jumping in? If you're sitting there like, yeah, I'm, I'm I, you know still not convinced or, or whatnot, I, I'm hoping this will inspire you. Okay, we go to uh, when David began, he he fled from uh, King Saul because Saul was trying to kill him, right? And there's this riveting question. He comes to this, this guy named Ahimelech, and, uh, uh, who was a, a prophet. And he comes, and he had some companions, but he, according to the Gospels, because in the, in the story of Mark, he says that David showed up with some companions, just a, a handful, but he must have left them behind at one point, and he shows up alone. Well, see, David was the king's son-in-law, and it, and it freaked Ahimelech out like that he had nobody around, no bodyguards or anything, right? It'd be like, you know, Vice President Mike Pence showing up and all of a sudden nobody's with him. Like, hey, don't you have some secret service or something, right? But I do believe this question is penetrating. So I'm, I'm asking, I'm even praying right now that God will, will penetrate your thinking. Because we look, we're swimming, and I'm, I'm just being super honest with you this morning, we're swimming in the deep end of an individualistic culture. And somewhere along the line, God needs to shake us and say, it's not about you, it's not about what you want, it's about because it's putting on the green jersey or whatever jersey and saying disciple-making is part of that, it, it is the core of the mission so that we can make God known in the world, right? So here we go. David shows up, 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. David went to Nob, this location, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him, and he asked this question, why are you alone? Why are you by yourself? Why is no one with you? And I think if we, if we culturize that to our own setting, God would say, why are you trying to do couch Christianity? No offense to those of you that are home. I understand you, you know, for, for reasons you can't be here. I, I get that, but I'm, I'm not referring to that. I'm just saying couch Christianity is I'm going to do it. My, why are you trying to do this alone? If we're, you know, have you ever seen those things that are like uh, little dirt devils? That they, they're like in the shape of a hurricane, but, you know, they're just, and they're gone. 
That's what it looks like when individuals try to say, I'm going to do Christianity on my own. I'm going to go to the beach for my church. I'm going to sit out. I'm going to say that, you know, I'm going to worship God. Nothing wrong with that. I'm going to sing a couple songs on my own. Nothing wrong with that. But God says, it's not about that. It's not about you getting your inspiration. It's about you becoming part of the tornado. It's about marching and step in solidarity so that the world will know. This is the thing that's at stake right now. I don't know if you've seen the news recently, but our culture around us needs to know that Jesus is a way maker. Our culture, wherever you are in the world, I've been on five continents, it doesn't matter if you're in the furthest corner of the world, they need to know that God is who God is. And we can't accomplish that with a little dirt devil. I'm kind of glad the word devil is part of dirt devil, just kidding. Watch this. There's protection and solidarity. And I want you to see that David never recruited. That God sent men to him. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. David left Gath, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down. We're going to join him. There was no recruiting there. Hey, would you please come down? There was no email sent. Hey, really in big trouble here. They heard about it. They went down. They saw the predicament. All those who were in distress, in debt, discontented. This was the island of misfit toys. They gathered around him in solidarity, and he became their leader, about 400 of them. If you, if you have a Bible, or later on, if you look at 1 Chronicles 12, uh, uh, 12, and you look at the end of the story, there are tens and tens and tens of thousands he started by himself, tip of the tornado. God added 400 men to him, and, he, and not just any men, but he added warriors. These guys were in debt. They were discontented, but they were warriors. Watch what happens. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 1. These were the men who, watch, came to David. He didn't recruit. Came to David at Ziklag while he, banished, while he was banished from the presence of Saul, the son of Kish, the king. They were among, among them, the warriors who had helped them in battle. They were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows or to sling uh, stones right-handed or left-handed. They could bat left-handed, they could bat right-handed. In other words, God sent him, not just people that would pat him on the back, but he sent, God sent him people that would jump in the battle with him. This very verse, my wife began to pray about a year ago. This very verse. God, send more warriors. Send more people that have their war paint on their face and say, I want to be in the mission of God. Not just more people in church. You know, it's easy to say, hey, we got more people in church. Not just more people in church, but people with war paint on their face that will say, I want to be about the mission of God. There's power in solidarity. Watch this. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 21, if you look at these numbers, it, it is so incredibly, uh, when David took on Goliath, he took on one guy, but not an army. He could not have taken on an army by himself. And he was, de- he, he was declaring war, and he needed warriors. Listen, we've declared war on ordinary. Do we do it perfectly? Nope. Do I do it perfectly? Nope. Ordinary relationships that are in church. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. And that's the end of it. We've declared war on that. And in order to do that, we need warriors that will jump in. And if you look at these numbers, if you were looking at 1 Chronicles chapter 12, the men of Judah, 6,800, Simeon, 7,100, the men of Levi, 4,600, the men of Aaron, 3,700, and then 3,000, and 21,000, 18,000, 40,000, 50,000, 120,000. These are not numbers that are growing. These are 120,000 over here, and 70,000 over here, and 50,000 over here that God was creating creating an army. Watch this. 1 Chronicles chapter 20, 12, verse 21. They helped David against the raiding bands, for all of them were brave warriors, and they were commanders in his army. Watch this. Day after day, David, men came to David. Didn't help. I, I didn't recruit. They came to David until he had a great army like the army of God. That is the powerful point here. Not like, hey, how can we accumulate more people? No, how can we accumulate more warriors that will carry out 
the, the commission of Christ so that God is known in the world. Would you mind if I say that again? How can we ask God to send more warriors, not like Martin said, Pusiters, more warriors who will be about the commission of Christ, go and make disciples, so that God is more known in the world? I want to show you a map. I don't know if this is inspiring to you. It makes me weep. We started on this little corner sitting here at McIntosh and Ashton. And so many of you, you may think, hey, I'm in, I've been in discipleship. Does that really matter? It matters. Because what you're doing is that you won, you're feeding the tornado of movement. God, we had no idea what God was going to do and the impact that he was going to make. But we, God has answered this prayer. God, would you send warriors? Not just here in Sarasota, but to, how do we equip people through our tools? How do we equip people to become warriors of disciple-making, right? And so we began, our first stop was the Dominican Republic. I think we went to Cuba and blah, blah, blah. And along the way, we weren't just telling people how to, to, do, to make disciples and teaching them with our tools. We were gaining warriors who caught the same vision of making God known. And now we have what I call champions and trainers and directors. Just take a look at this map. This map is not people that are just using uh, the disciple-making tools. These are trainers. You might see like in Africa, you see that number 29? There's so many dots in that area of people that are training that the map itself, just the technology says, hey, there's 29 right in that one little spot. And so God all over the world, these again, these are not people that are just using uh, you know, our small circle tools. These are people that have caught the vision and they're training and they're warriors in an army. If you click on any of these dots, if you go to the next slide, if you click on any of these dots, that's Cuba, and it will show you, here's our trainer and here's how to contact. You know, here's, here's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to say, hey, look how great it is. We're, we're creating a map, so if you live in Cuba, you can click on the, the, the link in Cuba and say, hey, I can go to that person rather than going to Steve. This has gotten well beyond me right now, and I, I'm, I'm trying to structure the thing where I'm just one dot on a map. You see what, you know what I would call this? A tornado. A tornado. We're having stories. In fact, I'll just remind you in the next slide that if, you're, if you want to be part of these stories, we're sending these out. We're, we have just about to launch this. If you want to go to that website, you can be put on our mailing list of these tornado stories. If you're, Let me end with this. There's a purpose in solidarity, okay? If you've missed everything I've said, because I know this has been a bit bulky today, okay? There's, there, at the end of the story... In 1 Chronicles 12, verse 38, I want you to listen to these words. All these fighting men, okay, you see it, who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron, fully determined, solidarity, to make David king over all Israel. That was at their end goal, was to make God known. All the rest of the Israelites were also of one mind, solidarity, to make David king for the purpose of making God known. And then they partied. And to be honest, the, the men spent three days there with David, eating, drinking, their families. They had provision there. This is a massive picnic. Also, their neighbors were as far as Issachar, Zebulon, Naphtali, came bringing food on donkeys, camels, mules, oxen. There was plenty of supplies and figs, cakes, raisin cakes, wine, oil, cattle, sheep, for there was amazing joy. I'm replacing that word, as you're going to know. There was amazing jazz. <laughs> In Israel, okay, here it is. Listen carefully, okay? If you're home, listen carefully. The gospel of Jesus is a paradox. What does that mean? That it's opposite of what you think. Jesus said, if you lose your life, you find it. That makes no sense and is completely counter to our culture. Our culture says the more you consume, the more you gain. Jesus said, the more you lose, the more you gain. The more you give of yourself away, the more you gain. The more you give away, the more jazz. That's why I believe that deep down in our country, even though we've got a lot of stuff, there's an underlying unhappiness because we're missing the solidarity of seeing a tornado track of God's movement. 
You might be a Christ follower and you think Christianity is boring or you don't get it. Maybe it's because you're not part of the synergy because the only synergy they had there was because tens and tens and tens of thousands came together for, this, for the sake of the strategy of God. How can we have more warriors that understand that making people feel seen, making people feel heard, making, making people feel known at a table for two and getting part of the movement is what makes God known to the world? That is the prayer. That is the movement of solidarity. So we're going to end today with a, a short film. And uh, our filmmaker, Chris Hartman, just does an amazing job with these films. And he's captured, we've been talking about significance throughout the summer. But I'm praying. I've been praying all week. I've prayed more this week for you than I have in a long, long time. Because I understand. I've told my wife over and over this week. I'm like, you know, it's not a tough message for, for me to deliver. You know, I don't mind stepping on toes. Kind of enjoy it. A hobby. Just kidding. But I understand that we're conditioned to do our own thing and for people to think different, for, for brothers and sisters in Christ to start thinking different and saying, I want to be part of something bigger, that's tough. I understand how tough it is. I really do. I want you to watch and then we'll close in prayer, okay? Let's take a look. Sometimes we are told by social media, by commercials, by Hollywood, by people around us, that if you pursue these things, these particular things, they'll make you happy. But we really find that it's significance that we're looking for. The things that really matter to us at the human level are always relational. Always to be seen, to be heard, and to be known. These are things that money can't buy. We can be seen if we position ourselves. We can be heard if we have proximity with each other. If we're going to be known, though, we've got to get private. We've got to get personal. In order to be known, you have to step out of the group. The closer that you get to a person, the harder it is. How can we change and become like Christ when the Bible says iron sharpening iron? It's not felt smoothing felt. It's iron sharpening iron and that hurts. If you get to that table of two in the private space and you spend enough time, it's healing. It's healing. If you're willing to sit at a table for two and get safe enough and honest enough and long enough, honest conversations to grow and you experience life change, then you'll be able to know what God's up to. Then you'll be kingdom mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's design and His will is. His good and perfect and pleasing strategy. Father, thank you, God, for calling us. And thank you, Father, for the purpose of, of the gospel to share it, God, because certainly this world not only needs to hear the good news of Christ, but as you said so clearly in John chapter 17, God, that this is not, it's not just about information, it's about transformation. And Father, we've seen today, it's been a, it's been a bulk of information that in David's day, built, had that temple, had his son build that temple, and, and your glory became centralized there, and, and your name became known throughout the earth. And now, God, we are temples. We're walking temples, Father. Remind it right now in John chapter 
in the first John chapter 4, God, you said, no man has ever seen God. But if we love one another and love one another like you've loved one another, then you are seen in us and the world can see you, God. The world is not going to see you by building temples anymore, large buildings. The world is not going to see you, God, by more information. The world is going to see you through Christ working through us, making disciples, investing, seeing change, and allowing the Holy Spirit to come together in solidarity with the body of Christ. Father, I not only pray for church culture today, but I pray for this church as, you, as I have been knocking on your door all week. Father, if we feel like we can run this race by ourselves, that our, our primary goal in, in our walk with you is to make sure that we're okay with you and that we're trying to grow just on our own and, and, it, and this whole thing, God, is about us, would you forgive us? You did not call us just to be followers, God, but you called us to be warriors. Father, I pray for those who would, would, that would open their hands and their heart to you toward heaven and say, God, I've been, I've been individualistic in this, in this whole movement, in this, in this kingdom that you've put me in. And today, God, I want that to change. I'm not exactly sure how to connect all those dots, God, but I want to be part of a movement, a tornado of sorts that leaves a clear path. So, Father, I pray for the 360 Church, as well as other local churches in this community and around the world. I pray, Father, that we would give up the entitlement of doing things on our own, where disciple-making or sharing our faith somehow becomes a self-declared option. Help us to submit, Father. It's not easy for us, as you know. Father, we bow down before you. Can't imagine, Lord, what it was like to sit there with those 11 men. They were as fractured and imperfect as we are. And yet, God, your dream was to make Jesus known in all the earth. And look what has happened from that upper room. God, would you make that happen from this room? From those at home? as we're temporarily separated, God, to build an army of God through this church whose priorities are your priorities, like David, whose hearts are like your heart. Finally, Father, we pray for those who have come today in this room to this building that are perhaps sitting at home, maybe sitting in a car with the car running, that are absolutely fatigued fatigued of trying life on their own, fatigued, God, of hitting one brick wall after the, the next, perhaps fatigued of all of the, the, the coat hangers of religion, the entanglement, the disappointments, the <clears throat> being disenchanted, God, by maybe even people that call themselves Christians. We pray, Father, for the power of the Spirit of God to help them put away all of those things and look directly right now at you, knowing, God, that you are calling them, that you call them from the cross. The picture, God, of what we, we decided and we remembered today at the Lord's Supper, that you came because you loved us so much that we would no longer need to be dependent on our efforts to find rightness in your eyes, God, but through Christ who gave himself and laid himself on a cross to find you, God, through him. If that's you today, if you're searching for God, God loves you more than you could ever know. Would you reach out to him right now by voicing God to God your dependence, not on yourself, but on Christ in your own raw language, Perhaps this is your prayer. God, I want you in my life. I'm exhausted with my own. I exchange my current life for the new one that you could give. 
And in this moment, by faith, I'm going to depend not on my ritual, not on my religion, not on my rightness, but I'm going to depend right now completely on Christ to throw my, myself on him as if he were catching me, God. Would you forgive all of my brokenness, my sin, my fractures, my mistakes? Because, God, I am a sinner and I need you for the forgiveness of my sins and the new life that you can give. Perhaps that is your prayer tonight. Thank you, Father, for giving us great purpose in your church. And help us to walk out of this place or get up from our living room, wherever we're at right now, and recognize that this, as we sang before, this world needs to know who you are. Help us to play a role in that in the name of Jesus.